For those of you who don't know, the uh, New York Yankees have 27 World Series championships. And that's why those who do not live in New York tend to hate the Yankees. During the uh, years that I lived in New York State, they won six times. I lived in Toronto during both of the Blue Jays World Series victories. I lived in Pennsylvania for both of the Philadelphia Phillies World Series championships. I lived in Chicago when the White Sox won. And I lived in Houston for their now somewhat tainted victory. Those were all teams that I rooted for, that I cheered for. I went to a few games. I wore team hats and shirts. But even at the height of victory, I never said, we won! We are the champions. Because as a fan, I know that uh, that had nothing to do with me. I never had an at-bat or threw a pitch or coached a runner or filled out a lineup card. So if we had won, then I would have gotten a championship ring and a big check, neither of which I have. So despite all those championships for, quote-unquote, my team, we didn't win, they did. I'll tell you why that matters in a moment. We start a series today called Reason to Rejoice, and over these next few weeks we're studying Romans chapter 5. We're going to discover three of those reasons. Now, rejoice is not a word that we use a lot in uh, modern America, uh, but I think it is a very good translation of the New Testament word kakatamai. Kakatamai means to boast about someone or something else, to take pride in that person or that thing. And so I think the sports team analogy kind of fits, because you're proud of that winning team that you root for. You can boast about them, unless there's an asterisk, you can boast about them and their winning. In the New Testament, uh, kalkatamai is a word that's used only by the Apostle Paul, and he uses it 35 times, so it's uh, significant for him. And over these next three weeks, uh, Our study is going to be on the first 11 verses of Romans 5, where Paul uses that word three times, giving us three different reasons to kakaamai, to rejoice, to boast. But this scripture is not directed at everybody or anybody. Um, There are reasons to rejoice that are directed at a specific group of people. Over and over in these sentences, it repeatedly says, we, we. And so my job today is to, first of all, make sure you know who is in that group, who's included in the we, because something so wonderful is really most thrilling when you're actually a part of it. It's not merely good news for someone else, but something that you can be excited about because you truly belong. You're actually part of the group, part of the team that wins, not just a fan. That's even more exciting. And and the other thing that I need to do this morning is to remind and encourage all of us who are part of that group of the great reason that you and I have to rejoice. So if you are included here in the we, 
If you do belong, then you have great reason to rejoice, and we want to focus on that today. So who is the we referring to? Who has reason to rejoice? The rejoicers are not defined by how much money they have or don't have. Uh, the rejoicers are not limited to, to one's ethnic group or one particular age group. They don't belong to one culture. They don't speak one language. They don't share a skin color or gender or education level. Who are the ones who have reason to rejoice? Well, Romans 5 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So Paul identifies who it is that has reason to rejoice. And he's going to talk about that reason in just a moment. The ones who have reason to rejoice, the we, are those who by faith have entered into the grace of God. Those who through Jesus have made peace with God. Those who have accepted that your sin has been paid for by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That his death substituted for your eternal death. That the victory has been guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And when you accept that by faith, then you have been justified. And to be justified by God is not something that you have one day and not the next day. Uh, to be justified is when God declares you to be righteous because of Christ. When you receive the uh, gift that God offers, you are pronounced not guilty because of Jesus. When God justifies you, you're no longer condemned but acquitted. You're no longer separated from God, but you're part of the body of Christ. When God declares you righteous, it's not what you deserve. You, you don't earn that status. Uh, God offers freely what you do not merit, all out of grace. Mark Donadale was a pastor in France during World War II. And uh, he, along with uh, another group of pastors one day, was told about Hitler's final solution. That is, Hitler's plan to annihilate all the Jews. So Pastor Mark decided that day to do something, whatever he could, to rescue Jewish people from annihilation. What he did was he made his house a hiding place for anyone who escaped the, uh, the Gestapo searches, the, the Holocaust trains, the, the, the Jewish ghettos, the internment camps. Anyone who escaped those, uh, he invited into his home. And, and Mark said this, What haunted us was the fate of these Jewish friends under our roof. Those we save now will be saved, and one beautiful day, Hitler will fall. Over the course of the war, Mark's house became a place of refuge for 80 people. Now, I want you to have that safe house in mind for a moment. That, that secure place that hides you from harm, where you go to escape the threat of death. Because in an ultimate way, that's what you have in Christ. Every human being is under the death sentence of sin. You are guilty, separated from God. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all under judgment, desperately in need of saving. But the Gospel is the good news that there is a hiding place, there is a safe house, and His name is Jesus. That's the Gospel. 
And through him you gain access into grace. Access in the ancient world referred to being admitted into the presence of royalty. Uh, Not anyone should just go in to see the emperor or the king. Only certain people had that privilege, the, the right of access. And Jesus is our right of access to God the Father, to enter into the grace of God. You didn't need a pastor to let you in. You don't need a bishop or a priest uh, d- d- required to let you in. All you need is Jesus. He is the way. He's the way. Jesus doesn't just point the way. There's a difference there. What's the difference? Well, not too far from here, you can find one or Actually, a number of great big signs that say uh, 290 West to Austin. So I encourage you that if you climbed up that uh, signpost and sat on top of that sign, and no matter how much longer you waited, you would not get any closer to Austin. Unless jail is closer to Austin, you're not going to get any closer by sitting on that sign. Jesus is not a signpost pointing us in the right direction. He is the way, the only way. Only through him is there access to salvation, rescue, grace. Now for me, that happened as a child. That I had been in vacation Bible school all week and heard the gospel message as I had many times as a young child. And and I came home that one day and I told my mother that I wanted to put my trust in Jesus. And I had no problem admitting and understanding my sinful condition, even at a young age, my need of a Savior. She guided me into receiving the gift of God that is eternal life. And it was on that day I went from standing on my own merits to standing in grace. Through Jesus, I was given access to the safe place of grace. Many years later, I visited an old, grizzled World War II veteran named Paul. And uh, he had been coming to church for a few months, and uh, his wife had died sometime before. Uh, He had an ongoing feud with his brother that left him with no family and very few friends, and I guess he had decided to to try and connect with people at church. So I sat down in in Paul's home and began to talk to him. He he was a very self-sufficient guy, very proud, tough, and I shared the good news about Jesus with him. And I point blank told Paul that, that his hard work, his, his uh, good efforts and good deeds and all his service to our country were not going to get him into heaven. And I said, it certainly isn't going to be on your winning personality either, Paul. And that day, Paul threw away his self-reliance and he put his trust in Jesus And on that day, Paul was declared righteous by God and given access into grace. He went from counting on himself to standing in the place of grace. So, who has reason to rejoice? Who's included in the we? Those who have peace with God through Jesus and so stand in grace. And so, uh, you are included in that we if You are one who has found peace with God through Jesus. You are one who then stands in grace. So remember that. We are standing in grace. If that's who you are, you're standing 
in the grace of God. No matter what threats we face in this life, nothing can ultimately defeat those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what, what enemy comes after you or against you, no matter how difficult the trials, no matter how unfair the circumstances, how painful the things you go through, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. You're in a place of safety. Dr. Barnhouse used to say that a Christian is a member of the human race who ought to go to hell like every other sinner, but is going to heaven because God Almighty has declared him righteous even though he's unrighteous. That's what it means to stand in grace. To have your trust in Christ alone. So we're standing in grace, and that alone should be enough to fill us with joy all of our days. That should be reason enough to rejoice. But that's not the reason that Paul mentions here. Speaking to those who right now stand in grace, the text continues. The rest of verse 2. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's that word kokaamai. To rejoice is to boast, to be proud of, but in a positive way. This is not bragging about ourselves. This is bragging about the future glory that God has promised us in Christ. Rejoice in the hope of what's in store for those who are standing in grace. So what is that hope of glory that he talks about here? Let me tell you what it's not. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just speak this one because I hear it so much. That is, your hope is not becoming an angel. For decades now, I've heard that said at funerals. I've seen it written on tombstones. It's in the media. I, is it, posts about people who have lost a loved one. They're an angel now. God needed another angel. Charlie's an angel now. Oh my goodness. No. No. That's a nightmare. It's not accurate. And it's not a compliment. It, it would be like having your first baby and getting a card that says, congratulations on your new puppy. I think the new mother would break into tears and say, I told you he looked like your family. <laughs> now puppies are cute, puppies are wonderful, but there's something entirely different than babies. And one will never become the other. So it is with angels. They are God's messenger service, angels are. They're God's cleaning crew. They're His security detail. They're His armed forces. They're His emergency alert system. And they've got all those jobs covered. And there are no open positions. God doesn't need any more angels. That's not what we hope to become. That's not the hope of glory. By God's grace, we have a whole different future. Our hope is not to become angels. Our hope is the future glory God has promised us. It's far greater than that. The hope of glory is so incredible that we, if you're included in the we, we have reason to rejoice. We have reason to boast about it, to brag about it, to take pride in what God has done, to celebrate what God has promised His people. So, truth is, we're headed for glory. We're headed for glory. And the Bible gives a lot of information about what that means. Glory, the, the, the Greek word is doxa, it appears throughout the New Testament. It, it means splendor, brilliance, magnificence. And in relation to God, it's 
God is so perfect, God is so holy, He's so awesome that He shines, He radiates. And one day we will see Him in all His glory. Uh, Human eyes cannot bear the sight of God now, He's too perfect, too holy, but one day we'll be in His presence and we will see Him as He is. So, what is this future glory? I want to share with you seven truths about the hope of glory. And I had a list of 10 or 12 or so. I pared it down to seven. And uh, here they are. Let's, let's go through them. Uh, one, Jesus will appear in brilliant glory. That's the promise. That's the blessed hope we look for according to Titus 2.13. That for those who have received Jesus, that glorious appearing of the Savior will bring great joy. As He radiates His glory into our world again, we shall see Him as He is. Second, we will appear in glory with Christ. Colossians 3.4 says that. Now, right now, those of you who have loved ones, friends, those close to you who have died, who were in Christ, what does the Bible tell us about what's happening with them now? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. All those who are dead in Christ are with the Lord now. We know that. But as as His return, the return of Jesus, all living believers will be caught up to meet Him in the air. And we will, Colossians 3, 4 says, appear with Him in glory. That's our hope. Third, heaven's city is ablaze with glory. Revelation 21 describes it that way. Since God's radiance is so great that there will be no need of the sun or moon. doesn't say there won't be a sun or moon. It says there will be no need for it. Why? Because the Lord Almighty and the perfect Lamb of God will light up heaven. What a beautiful picture. That radiant city. Fourth, our bodies will be changed into glory. Philippians 3.21, 1 Corinthians 15. It says that in an instant we'll be transformed. Those of us who are in Christ will be transformed in in the blink of an eye. And we're promised a new body. One no longer subject to disease, limitation, pain, weakness, death. You know, when you get a certain age, you get injured in your sleep. I'm looking for a day when that doesn't happen anymore. When this body that's beginning to wear out will be made new and be like the resurrected Jesus. Number five, we'll experience the riches of His glory. That's Ephesians 1.18, among others. And let me tell you, I don't even know what this means. I really don't. And I got some Yes, but it's referred to about ten times in the New Testament. That there's this abundance, there's a wealth of glory that awaits us in the presence of God. Number six, all creation will be set free in glory. That's Romans 8. Right now we live in a world that's under the influence of the evil one. The weight of decay and sin and injustice is heavy. Oh, the weight of evil in our world, it's heavy. And creation, Scripture says, groans under the burden of all that weight. It's longing for the day of freedom. But glory is coming. 
And so all that we suffer now isn't worth comparing to the glory that's on the way. Seven, the glory we receive lasts forever. Over and over in the New Testament it says this, that glory is not a temporary condition. That the clock will not run out on it. It is eternal. The glory of the Lord shall never end. And so, Romans 5.2, he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's the hope, that's the future, that's the promise that we look for. Let me put it all in one sentence. That through Jesus, you are standing in grace, headed for glory. And I'm summing up who the we are. If you're in Christ, this is you. And through Jesus, you are standing right now in grace. You are headed for glory. And that's a lot to boast about. That's a lot to rejoice in. It covers this life and the next. It's our status today. It's our promise for the future. So here's the question. How should this impact your life, my life, today here in Cypress, Texas? How should this impact your life? Well, if you've had a family member deeply disappoint you, if you've had a friend who hurts you, someone take advantage of you, it can be devastating. And and you feel unable to forgive. You you, you don't want to let them off the hook. You, You hold a grudge or you lash out in anger or you want to shut them out of your life. Because how can you possibly let them get away with what they did to you? But you see, if you're able to appreciate that you are standing in grace, it can change everything. Because you know that God has given you blessing that you don't deserve. Forgiven you in a way that you don't deserve. And every day you have is due to His love and mercy. And you live at peace with God through Christ. And your future is filled with glory. And you can rejoice by letting go of that grudge, that disappointment, that hurt, that loss, Because you stand in grace. Or maybe illness has interrupted your life. Maybe you battle cancer. Or you are caring for someone who battles disease. You struggle with pain and fear. Maybe you have a a physical limitation that simply makes every day more difficult for you. But when you know you're standing in grace, headed for glory, it changes things. That you can rejoice. You can boast in the Lord despite those circumstances. You can rejoice in the hope that though this body grows weak and gets sick and breaks down, that one day it will be transformed. That everything that limits you now will end. And only glory remains. Maybe you struggle to pay the bills. There always seems to be more month than money. Maybe life has not turned out the way that you planned it, you hoped it. Maybe your marriage relationship is not ideal. Maybe you didn't get the break that you felt you deserved. And while I can't guarantee that your your money troubles will disappear or your dreams of success will all come true, there is reason to rejoice. My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You're standing in grace You're headed for glory. That's your hope in Christ. Some of you might struggle with a reason to just simply keep living. 
Maybe you're weighed down, maybe even today with depression. You might contemplate suicide. And I beg you not to. The immense pain that you would inflict on everyone around you, and even people you don't even know, is greater than you can imagine. No matter how dark things look, there is hope. You matter more to other people than you know. And more importantly, you matter more to God than you can begin to comprehend. Keep standing in grace, headed for glory. A few years ago, I spent some time on the phone with a good friend who was going through divorce. And I listened to how he described their relationship and that it had struggled for years. And it made me so sad because Amy and I loved this couple so much and we had no idea how deep and long their struggles in marriage had been. As I heard him describe the pain they had caused to each other, the grief that they were going through, my heart ached. And I prayed with my friend and I finally ended the phone call and I walked over to Amy and I said, I'm so glad we're married. And I hugged her and I kissed her and she said, who were you talking to? And that's a lot like why we need to gather here today. Because as we remember what is true for us because of Jesus, what we've been saved from, and what we're looking forward to, we rejoice in God. I don't know what your week has been like, but if you're anything like me, you need to be reminded every single day of what you've been saved from and what God has promised for the future. Now, I recognize that's not why everyone is here. Some of you are in this room because somebody else dragged you here. Others are here because of tradition. Some are here because they think it earns points with God. But those who know they stand in grace and are headed for glory have come to boast in God. We're here to rejoice in the one who's given us a foundation and a future. We rejoice in hope by sharing stories of God's goodness. We rejoice in hope by giving thanks and praise. We rejoice in hope by having an attitude that reflects the character of our Savior. We rejoice in hope with music. If you're standing in grace, then you have every reason to sing. Whether you like the music or not, this singing isn't for you and me anyway. It's boasting in God. Do you realize that's what that is? Boasting in our Savior. And we rejoice in hope around the communion table. And as our deacons prepare to serve these elements this morning, let me remind you why we do this. With this bread and this cup, we remember the Lord's death for us. And we rejoice. Why? Because this is a tangible reminder of our salvation. It's the sacrifice of Christ that gives us access to a holy God. And if your trust is in Jesus, then this table is for you. And as you wait for all to be served here in a few moments, take that time to confess your sin. To receive the forgiveness of God. Knowing that when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through Jesus.
And then together we will eat and drink as one body in Christ. If you're like me, then there are times that you've been firm in faith and times you've been filled with doubt. There are days where you've been overwhelmed with joy and days when you've been crushed by defeat. But moments when you stumble in weakness and moments when you operate in strength that is beyond anything you can imagine. And times when you've seen great victory and other times when it's just been one failure after another. You've walked through the valley and you've been to the mountaintop. But there is a hope that never changes and never dies. There's a hope that lights up the darkness and lightens the load. That through Jesus you are standing in grace, headed for glory. Let us gather around the table and boast about Him. Thanks be to God.